Welcome to Dumbest in the Room. Today my guest is somebody who is an action sports athlete, but his story of perseverance transcends the whole human life. And uh, I drew on his his journey to battle with my in my own. And uh, I'm thankful to have Phil Smodgy here with me today. Did I say that right, Smagical? You're about the only one that says it right. Even friggin' TP can't pronounce it. I've <laughs> hung out with him for years. <laughs> well, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me, man. So, sorry, for the, sorry about the technology uh, troubles. I'm I'm new to this whole Zoom thing. This is my first time, so it's going to be beginner luck or beginner suck. <laughs> You're doing great. You're doing great so far. So you have had an interesting interesting life. Um, talk about your your upbringing um, in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, and how you got into action sports. So I think the fact that I grew up here has a lot to do with who I turned into, as it does with everybody, I'm sure. But me specifically, because being from Wisconsin and being from a small town in Wisconsin and outside of town, we live out in the country on a farm, we've got all the seasons. So that kind of gave me action sports ADD, I like to call it, because I couldn't just ride bikes or just snowboard or skateboard or just do any one thing because all the different seasons lead to all the different hobbies and that either helped or hurt me because it gave me all those options. And it also made me spread myself thin throughout each different discipline, but it also made me have more fun than the person that's just doing one. So I like that fact. And I also think it was slightly limiting because I wasn't able to just focus on one sport or hobby, or as I like to call them jobbies, a hobby that turns into kind of a job. Uh, so it definitely, it was a great place to grow up because we had, we had a bunch of, uh, land to ride our bikes on. We had kind of, well, they're homemade. We had some homemade Hills to snowboard and snow skate on. And then we had the farm. So I got to incorporate the animals into the whole big, crazy, chaotic, uh, childhood. So although it made me pretty, uh, skip scatterbrain with sporting it also i i won't change it because man i had a lot of fun and we were fortunate to have the land to to do that on so it was uh it's that's the reason i am so into so many different things is because of where i grew up so what are all the sports that you are good at because you're good at a lot of them i've seen you chill on a skateboard snow skate trials bike I mean, nowadays, if you were talking about in the past, yeah, I could agree. Now that number is getting smaller <laughs> with the limitations I currently have. But um, I guess first off, I got into racing BMX because here, right here in Elkhorn, we have like a ABA BMX racing track, like an official indoor track. So we every winter, we would go and race our bicycles. And that's what kind of got me into motocross. So we went from bicycles to motocross and then our dad got us all into trials riding and that kind of started to take over and trials riding not many people know about it it's like kind of an obstacle course for motorcycles and in my opinion that teaches you full control over a bike and so you can transcend that into any different discipline you want so then i got into hair scramble racing and enduro riding and uh, eventually enduro cross racing and stadiums and did the national series at that and then we have Alpine Valley Ski Resort, like five miles that way, or is it that way? <laughs> five miles away from the house. And so then I've been at that ski hill since I was two years old. First, just probably my dad 
pushing me or carrying me or strapping me down the hill some way and then started skiing like as soon as I could walk pretty much. And then from there, got into snowboarding and then snowboarded like that was all I wanted to do that. At first, that was my first professional career that I wanted was a snowboarder. And uh, it's hard to do that from Wisconsin because our ski hills are, well, homemade. They're <laughs> just yeah. pretty much dirt piles built up and we don't have mountains here, obviously. So it's tough to really kind of chase that dream while still living here. But then when I was actually at a snowboard contest waiting for prizes, um, there was somebody messing around at, on the flats with the snow skate and it just instantly just caught my eye. I'm like, whoa, that thing looks pretty cool because I had skateboarded too. So I was skateboarding and snowboarding and then I saw the snow skate at, at the results, waiting for the results and it just caught my eye. I instantly went out and got one and for this location and having barely any hills, no mountains to ride on the snow skate, you didn't need a big hill. Like I built a park in my backyard and I literally snow skated with my goat Wilbur every single day. Like, I don't care if it was negative 20 degrees out with 40 mile an hour winds and I'd be out there and the goat would be out there with me. And I just would set my phone on a tripod and I just start filming. Cause I was like, Oh, I want my, now my goal is I want to be a sponsored snow skater. And I want to get a, a pro model board. That was like the focus shifted from snowboarding to snow skating. And I was actually probably just from, dumb determination and the luck of having a goat in all my shots i was able to do that and then that was the first that was the first uh of my hobbies that i think turned into a, a jobby as i like to say because i i got the i went out and i won the x game snow skate contest and then i asked my sponsor at the time like that's kind of the transition to professional level and so i asked him if he would like, okay, is it time for me to have a pro model board? Cause that was like one track mine. That's what I had focused on. And he knew I was, I grew up on a farm, which is rare for any type of skating because clearly no skate parks out here, but in the winter, like I said, everything becomes a skate park. So I would make my backyard into one. So I was able to progress that far, but he still thought it was weird that I came from a farm. So he jokingly said, the owner's like, yeah, you can have a pro model if you do a trick over a cow. And we used to have cows back in the day before we were born, but now it was just goats and kitties and chickens. So I took him seriously. I'm like, well, don't, we don't have cows. How about if I do a trick over a goat? Little did he know I had the coolest goat of all time, Wilbur the goat, who like followed me around anyway. So he was already like in all my shots. And so I was like, oh, it'll be easy for me to do a trick over a goat. Wilbur's into it. So I flew home directly from X Games and started setting up this shot to do a trick over my goat Wilbur. Uh, Turns out he liked chasing behind me a lot more than he liked me jumping over him. So I was like trying everything. I'd lay down in front of, built the kicker. And then in front of the kicker or behind the kicker ramp, I would put down first, I put down some uh, pizza. I don't know why pizza. We had pizza for lunch, probably. The goat, yeah, was, Wilbur's eating that, eating that. And I'd come over to jump over. Wilbur would scatter. I'm like, oh, that didn't work. And then I tried chips. And goat loves chips. Like Wilbur loved chips. But still, when I came down, probably a little bit squirrely because I think it was late in the season. It was slushy. I go to jump over, I will bird scatter. Uh, and it ended up being what worked was ripped up pieces of cardboard. Wow. <laughs> so uh, the cardboard <laughs> got the goat to stay still and with the help of my buddies. And I, I did a hard flip over, over Wilbur and we took that still frame of that, that video shot, changed it into cartoon and that became the bottom graphic of my first pro model. So the dude, as soon as he saw me with that, I sent that picture and I'm like, Hey man, I did it. He's like, okay, I was just joking, but you made it happen. So, uh, yeah, you're, you're pro now. And so snow skating was the first one that kind of, uh, started making money and traveling and all that stuff. And then yeah. eventually the trials did and well, for, and then next up I was actually racing locally 
I mean, I'm going to do it in quotations, local professional motocross because it's in Wisconsin. Our speed is not quite as, uh, you know, as fast as the guys out in California or around. So while I, while I was racing and making some money locally, I was nowhere near like ready to go race pro nationals or anything, at least realistically i wasn't in my head i still thought i was going to but then motocross kind of picked up and then the trials actually started taking over from the moto because i was racing locally for money with motocross but i would only get paid obviously if i would do good in the races which i crash a lot obviously metal neck uh and i started doing trials shows with my brother and i was like obviously my brother he's a 11-time national champion best trials rider in the entire country so he'd be doing this amazing stuff and I would be kind of like the wild on the edge type of guy who, yeah, could do some crazy awesome stuff sometimes, or I might mess up and make a, make a joke out of it. And either way, the crowd liked that better and I would get paid no matter what. So I'm like, hmm, race and try as hard as I possibly can and maybe make a little bit of money or go out and have fun and show my skills. And cra if I crash, it's better that way. So yeah. I was like, ah, the trials started taking over the moto, the snow skating tried, started taking over the snowboarding. And so I became, went from a, motocross and snowboard diehard to snow skating trials goof hard <laughs> and that was what kind of brought me onto the level of like i guess for a profession, professional action action sports athlete i can't say it but i could do it at the time <laughs> hey that's awesome so let's expand on uh, on sponsorship um because i raced hair scrambles as a middle schooler yeah. I tried. I, there's this website called Sponsor House. I don't know if you knew. Yeah, I remember Sponsor House. Yeah, I remember that for yeah. sure. And uh, I think I got like I got a discount for like Motor X or something. It wasn't like a full sponsorship. And then I reached out to Red Bull as well, and I still had my denial letter. <laughs> Keeping that <laughs> motivation. <laughs> um, but yeah, so what was your first sponsor? And I mean, did they transcend snow skating into trials, or I mean, how were you reaching uh, out to them? Were they reaching out to you? Well, my first, like my first big sponsor was definitely my snow skateboard sponsor. And I, I reached out to them fully. Like, like I said, I was filming by myself every day. Just try it. Yeah. Sponsor me tape. Yeah. Like that, that was like, I mean, I'm talking OG sponsor tape where I freaking dubbed that thing together on a VHS tape. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't even remember how I did it. Like I could not take footage off a video camera and put it on a VHS right now. I just wouldn't know how, but Back then, I knew I'd do it, and I did it all the time. So I was constantly making these tapes and sending them in. And I remember, like, snow skating was at its infancy. I was lucky to get on pretty early. So I was able to kind of progress and grow the sport throughout the years. But initially, no one was doing ollies, like, onto rails. Like, everybody would just ride onto rails and ride onto boxes. And I remember my first sponsor tape I sent in, the, the dude, the owner's like, that was really awesome, like, that was super cool. I just need to see more Allion tricks. And like, no one, like I said, not many people were doing them at the time. And that stuck in my head. Like I, from there on out, I would never ride onto another handrail. Never. Like I just was ollieing or kick flipping or onto everything. And so when he, I got that first response and he said that I took the, and they, with that though, they sent me my first free board. So he sent that back. He's like, all right, you're not, not on the team yet, but we're going to flow you a board. And I was riding plastic snow skates at the time. And he sent me my first wood one. And that's probably why I wasn't alling onto things because the plastic snow skate would just, the tail would bend like, whoa. And right, so you right, really right. couldn't pop it very good. So I got this wood board and I just started ollieing and kick flipping onto everything. And then I sent the tape in again. He's like, okay, man, that was, I can't believe how much better you got in that short amount of time. So he sent me, started sending me boards and put me on the team. And then from there it went to 
went to X Games like I just talked about. And so Premier Snow Skates, the original snow skate company, that was my first big sponsor. It didn't really transcend into any of the other sports I was doing because, well, it's just so different. Who There's usually not motorcycling and, and snow skating and skateboarding are usually pretty separate, but um, I kind of started a trend in the Midwest where a bunch of motocross riders became really good snow skaters, actually, because I guess I was thinking about that. I think it's because obviously motocross athletes aren't really scared of much because motocross is so gnarly. So when they pick up a snow skate, they're like, dude, I'll try this. I'll try that. I'll try that. And so it like, it made for a lot of really good skaters. Uh, but for riding, uh, my first real sponsor, I think was Moose Racing. They make gear and stuff. And um, my older brother had kind of rode for him and I was like, got my first sponsorship through them. And I, like you said, I, I don't even think it was, I don't think it was free gear at the time. I think it might've been like 50% off or whatever percent off, yeah. but man, I like, I push that sponsorship as good, as big as you could. Like I would make it, it didn't really transcend because Moose Racing is an off-road motorcycle brand, but I had my whole edge of my snowboard lined in Moose Racing stickers, like everything. I did have my whole truck. Like I just <laughs> pushed it overboard. And I think, uh, I think that started like a, a lifelong respect for sponsors because my brother, older brother, he made it like when he got his first one, he treated it the same way. And so he passed that down to me. And I passed that down to my younger brother and he's been on the same motorcycle brand for 20 years of his professional career. So I have been building relationships with sponsors and not really jumping around a whole lot. So now to this day, a lot of my sponsors do cover like every different thing I do. Like EVS sports, they make protective gear for motorcycling. Uh, but I use that stuff for snow skating because my knees are blown out from jumping off buildings and all that stuff. So I now, now my sponsors do crisscross. And so I think that's actually pretty cool. And I, I can't bring tons of value anymore because of my, my actions are limited right now, but I think that they, one, they respect how long I've been with these companies and two, that I use their products in so many different ways. Yeah. So, so when you have a sponsor, I mean, are they expecting you and like you're saying now, like with your limited abilities, you can't do as much, but are they expecting you to constantly deliver or, um, I guess now is it sort of more like, and in, in quotes, an influencer, like, you know, maybe you're not using it as much, but you, you represent what they want to show. I believe, I don't know. I can't, I can't totally speak for them, but I think, I mean, I've been, I'm old as heck. So I've been doing this a long time and I've been sticking with my, uh, my core sponsors from the beginning. So I think for one, they keep me on just because I'm kind of grandfathered in a little bit. And then, uh, Two, I was doing a lot of social media stuff after the injury, as you know, and then um, I guess did build up to that influencer level. And so I figured that's the only reason they were keeping me on because I wasn't really competing anymore or not at a high level until maybe hopefully this year. Um, and so they were keeping me on because I was making cool videos and stuff. And mm -hmm. then my Instagram got hacked. And so then that fell apart. So I'm like, well, now why would they keep me on at all? But they still seem to want to. <laughs> so well, uh, I don't know. I, I guess, I mean, I guess it's that, <laughs> I guess it's that or else they, yeah, I, I, that's a good question. I'll have to ask them why they keep giving me free stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're a legend. All right. So drink Northern chill water. <laughs> there you go. That's why. <laughs> um, all right. So you, you've mentioned um, animals. So why goats? Because I know I'm wearing this magical strong shirt. It says you go. Hey, yeah, buddy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> nice shirt. <laughs> and you have your cat um, is 
famous. The cat's the, I mean, my cat was better than me at everything. <laughs> and it rightfully deserves its fame right now. I mean, I hope that Taddy's out there running around, snow skating around somewhere. I mean, I hope somebody stole it and is using and is just loving on Taddy and, and treating Taddy like the king that he is. But uh, it's been missing for several months. But I was able to thankfully spend four years with the cat. And I just honestly, it just kind of like my first goat. We just hung out so much that it took up my same hobbies, which is sounds weird because like animals you don't think of them having hobbies but no legit this cat loved to snow skate with me it would like my goat it would do it whenever it could be so freaking cold that none of my friends wanted to go skate but the cat would join taddy would join and so yeah taddy kind of took me out of a really dark time because i was unable to until this year i was unable to do anything on a snow skate that i really really got me like got me going or like felt at all like my old self. So I would spend like the last two years filming my cat and building setups for my cat. And to be honest, that's where my skills were too. So I was skating a lot of the same stuff my cat was. And so that gave me kind of renewed, uh, renewed enthusiasm to film because I didn't feel anything I could do was worth filming, but the stuff that Taddy was doing was mind blowing. It was the best I mean, you saw it. And they actually, you'll see more soon. I'm going to edit something after the Zoom meeting, after this podcast and start, because Teddy's got a part two coming, even though he's currently gone, hopefully, hopefully he's over in Japan, like being really famous or something like, <laughs> but he's got a, a bunch more footage coming. I just have to get over my, my sadness of him not being here anymore and edit it because he's sitting on some footage, sitting on some bangers, let me tell you. So there'll be more Teddy footage coming out as soon as I can get it together. I'm sure he's touring somewhere. He's on tour. Caddy's on tour. <laughs> Let's talk about how you became a part of Nitro Circus. I got to probably say Sarah on that one also. Like it had been a dream of, of mine for my whole life to film with Nitro Circus. And I like, trust me, I tried different ways. Like, I mean, I, I had Travis do an appearance in one of my first DVDs and stuff and sent him out to like have him show him the dvd and be like oh that's awesome like we should film but i mean travis gets sent a million things i bet he never even opened it honestly because he's got boxes of boxes of stuff so i was like tried everything i can entered any like type of all the giveaways they do all like the trips to pastrana land they do i like entered all those nothing ever came of it but not to get too much into it but uh sarah and travis used to yeah i guess date for lack of a better word they were dating and so they had a, a relationship in the past and they kind of you know that stopped they went their own separate ways and me and sarah started dating and uh our friend ashley was ashley filek women's motocross champ as well she was on tour with us um she was on tour with us on the marvel universe live tour we were on the east coast um ashley had reached out to travis and said hey could we like we're out here in maryland could we come to pastrana land and Travis wasn't actually there, but he's like, yeah, you guys go there, ride the pit bikes, have fun, blah, blah, blah. So we go there and Hubert, Hubert's out there and he's like, hey, you guys want to ride moto? And I was like, yeah, I haven't, I'm on tour. I haven't got to ride touch like actual dirt on motorcycle in so long. We rode around in, on concrete park, parking lots for that tour. So I was just so pumped to ride. And he set me up on one of Travis's RM252 strokes. And I think it was just the, it was a combination of two things. It was, I was so stoked to ride 
moto again after so long. And then I also had this really cool killer shot, like swirling helmet camera mount, like a GoPro mount that like gave this crazy angle. Mm-hmm. So I was out there just pumped and riding Travis's bike. So I was trying and I was just feeling good that day. So I was just trying as hard as I could. I was like whipping and scrubbing like way better than I normally could. Plus the angle of the camera made it look way better than I normally could. So somehow that video footage got sent to Travis and he saw it and he's like, he reached out. He's like, man, could you teach me how to scrub? I'm going to be racing straight rhythm and I need to learn how to scrub. <laughs> I'm just like, uh, yeah, because I'm a really good motocross rider, right? No. <laughs> and so it was like the camera angle made it look like I was honestly doing a lot better than I really was. And so that one thing led to another. And he's like, hey, man, we're looking for some some more different stuff for this new action figures movie we got coming out. Like we'd like to throw some trial stuff in there. So he threw it out to me and my brother to film some stuff although I was still on the Marvel Universe live tour. So we had like each week we'd perform Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So we'd usually have to be back by Wednesday, sometimes Tuesday. So you'd have like literally two days of wiggle room to work with. And as soon as I got that message from Travis, he's like, hey, can you film some stuff? Here's the deadline. I instantly booked a flight back to Wisconsin, flew back. I had like a ratty 2010 Sherco 290 trials bike that I used on America's Got Talent, but now I was beat to crap. And I, I set up a, a tree ride backflip. And I, well, first I did a pole jam backflip off of a rail, like a rail slide about like four inches wide, rode up it, backflipped, but our lighting was bad on it and the shot didn't do it justice and everything was all dark. I don't even think they used that. Although at the time that was the gnarliest backflip I ever did. I was scared crap let's do that. Was this the first action figures or the second one? Yeah, this is action figures number one, which that clip never made in it, which that was, like I said, that was the best clip I had gotten to that time. But then I did try the tree ride backflip off the tree and I landed my rear shock broke and I fell off the back and Travis saw that. He's like, you know who that reminded me of that tree ride clip? He's like, that's the first, that's exactly what happened when I tried it the first time. He said that. So he's like, dude, that was like, so then he thinks I'm like, he already thinks I'm better than I am because of the scrubbing his bike. Then he sees the tree ride flip and he's like, dude, you're like this, you did the same. I did it. Like you're, you must be on my level. He's thinking, I'm just like, (laughs) I didn't say anything, but I just kind of went along with it. And then it actually made a, made a bet. The tree ride backflip crash did make it in action figures one. And then my brother, he filmed a bunch of crazy stuff. He's like, 360 and he's doing all this cool stuff so his stuff made it in so we got like a couple trials clips and action figures one and then it made a bet between me and travis of who could land the tree ride back up first because he did a video of it and it made it blew up went viral blah, blah blah but as soon as he wrote out a frame he crashed and so he admitted that and he told me that he's like yeah so at that time nobody had landed it and ridden away clean without putting a foot down that's where my trials background came in because uh Fast forward to the next year, 2016, I think it was. And I had this bet for a case of beer with Travis of who could land the tree ride flip first. And uh, I searched around our entire property for the perfect tree and ended up being like 100 feet out the front door of our cabin. And so I found this tree, rode up it, backflipped it. My head is like this close to the tree. The shot's actually pretty freaking awesome. But I landed, rode out of it, no feet down, sent the clip to, sent the clip to uh, Travis. And he's like, dude. Like that was freaking awesome. Can I post this? So then he posted the clip and that kind of started my social media to, to ramp up. Obviously TP posts something, dude's got millions of followers, kind of started that growing. And at the same time, it made him once again, think I'm better than I actually am. So he said, hey man, 
like i want you to come film with us full time like come out to pastrana land start coming on filming trips and so then we started filming for action figures too and i literally like practically lived at pastrana land that summer and uh spent a bunch of time there and then started traveling around doing trips to florida and tennessee and all that stuff and that was kind of what got my foot in the door with that so to put a long story shorter than it just was uh my wife for one got me in at first and ashley filek got me through the door and then camera angles helped me again and made me look cooler than i am and then the tree ride backflip bet that i beat travis and he steals me a case of beer if you're listening travis i'll take uh hmm the most expensive six pack six pack you can find uh so the bet with travis and then that got me into filming like full time with them from there that's awesome all right now let's talk about why you have that orange hat what's that Let's talk about why you have that orange hat. Oh, <laughs> well, this one in particular, I mean, why I have it on right now is because uh, I haven't showered yet today, so I just want to hide all my hair. <laughs> but uh, this, yeah, the, the Nitro Circus orange hat, these you receive for two reasons. You either do something that's never been done before, or you get life flighted away from a Nitro Circus shoot. Unfortunately, I did both those things during my filming season with Nitro uh, because I did the, uh, the nose wheelie to front flip um, on the trials bike and that had never been done before. And it actually started a pretty well started. That was the first of a pretty big trend and battle in freestyle where Axel Hodges did it and then Josh Hill did it and they were all fighting over who did it first. And Travis comments in, well, actually, uh, Smagical did that like uh, almost two years ago. <laughs> I mean, it was on trials bike, so it is a little different, but I also didn't use a kicker. It was off a flat, blah, 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 blah. They're all cool, I think. Um, so I got I got the orange hat and orange hat for doing that. But then also the razor jump, I got flight for life out of a nitrous shoot. So literally in the hospital, I'm sitting there. I can't move anything, paralyzed. And Trav takes his own orange hat off his head and, and puts it on me there in the hospital. And so I... I actually am sitting on two of these beauties. So I got one for doing stuff and sweating in and another one just for chilling and talking on the internet with. That's this one. Hi, I'm BJ Lang. The mission of Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation is important for me, not only as a board member, but as a two-time testicular cancer survivor. Did you know that testicular cancer is the leading cancer for young men 15 to 44? But it can strike at any age. TCAF promotes the importance of early detection through the practice of monthly self-exams. So check out testiscancer.org to learn more and follow us on social media at testiscancer to be an advocate in the fight against testicular cancer. Awareness and early detection are key. <laughs> okay. Um, now let's get into that, um, the crash, um, because that is, like I mentioned off the top, um, you have shown incredible perseverance. Um, so walk us through what happened in the crash and then we'll move into how you are now. Well, the crash obviously was, it was both the high point and the low point in my entire life within like a 10 second window or whatever it was. Um, so there's a lot of things that went into it and throughout like this recovery since the, just over two and a half years since it happened, I've uh, actually seen a lot of different angles of the crash at first. Like, I mean, honestly, I was so terrified during this whole process, during the jump, before the jump, during the jump, after the jump, and for months and months and months after. So I was just like, 
I didn't get to see the crash. Sarah wouldn't let me see the crash until I walked again. So I didn't even see video of the crash for so long after it happened. So that was probably a good thing because you've seen it. It's it's pretty messed up. Um, But it also allowed me to just not focus on the negative. And I couldn't go on the internet and seeing all the people talking hate and being like, this guy's stupid for doing this, all that stuff. Um, So I really, and I didn't get to like analyze what had happened. And I was so scared during it. I didn't really know what had happened. And so now so much later, I've been able to see every different angle. I've been able to think about it more. So what actually happened, there was a number of things. Number one, obviously, I just went too fast. (laughs) I went as fast as you possibly could. Supposedly, it was impossible to over jump the landing. So in my head, I'm thinking, I don't want to jump this and make it 250 feet and have to re-break the record again anytime. I wanted to one and done the sucker, go as far as I can, get it out of the way, never have to do it again. So I went as fast as I possibly could. And that might have been okay. Like that could have, if these other things happened, that could have been, I might not over jump the landing. But I went and I did, Travis gave me tips. Obviously he pre-jumped it before me, right before I did. And he did it perfect. I mean, about a hundred feet less than I did, but he went off and what you do, go off the takeoff and you rev the gas twice to level out the machine. And then it just was supposed to fly perfectly to the downside. Um, I would, like I said, I was scared shitless. Sorry for swearing. I was so scared going into it because the ramps, okay, this hand doesn't go straight anymore, but there was one ramp on this side, one ramp on this side, and it was open gap in the middle. So I was simply worried about holding the steering wheel solid and straight at that speed and not dipping a ramp off the edge or into the middle, not dipping a tire off the ramp because then it would have been catastrophe. So I felt so comfortable coming at it and keeping it straight that that's why I went so fast in the first place. I felt like, wow, I got this. Like this feels stable. I'm going 94 miles an hour, but I can definitely hit my marks here. So that's all I was worried about was hitting the marks. I was not worried about speed. I went as fast as I could, got in the air. I blipped it the first time. At the, when I blipped the second time, I was at like the arc of the jump. And oh, I was just so freaking scared that I, I gave it too much gas in the second blip. And that brought the front end up too much instead of level. When that front end was up, the wind, I was about 20 feet in the air taller than higher than when Travis jumped it. So the wind was different up there. I was way above the wind. We had wind marker flags and stuff. I was just way above it. And I blipped too hard in the second one. And that caused it to like kite because the wind caught underneath the razor and it was a solid bottom. So that carried the front end and carried me past the landing. So instead of jumping a normal arc like that, I went up, blipped it, caught the wind and went out. I went, instead of just arcing back down, I just went straight out and that carried me past the landing and caused me to miss the landing. But it also in, in turn ended up saving my life because I landed with the front end so high that the back end landed first and it kind of crumbled and absorbed a bunch of the impact and sent me into that rolling, flipping, ragdolling crash that you've probably all seen. But if I would have gone that far and that fast and landed all four wheels flat on the ground, flat, then it would have killed me upon impact is what they said, the people that are way smarter than me. So while that did cause me to crash terribly, it also possibly saved my life. So it was a personal error. Everybody thinks, oh, they nitrous, like they screwed up the calculations, this and that. Um, no, they like, they did so many adjustments to that ramp before and, and reached out to the best like 
I don't know what the title would be, but the guys who figure out all that distance and all the trajectory and all that stuff, they had spent so much time on that. It just came down to driver error, um, wind taking into effect. And uh, yeah, I guess just fear. So it was, uh, I, I like people ask, like, do you blame Nitro? Do you blame Travis? I don't at all because even right up to, a minute or five minutes before I did that jump, Travis, who had the whole Evil Knievel thing coming up a couple weeks after that, he had to contractually, they had millions of dollars on the line for him to do those jumps. He could not do that jump. He was not allowed to do the razor jump. That's why I did it. Well, it came down to between me, Vanilla Ice, and uh, Tyler Hubbard from Florida Georgia Lion, the band, to do the jump. I was this dumb one that said, I want to do it. That sounds great. When will I get a chance to do this again? Uh, so literally, Travis, right before I did the jump, he said, hey, man, we can go meet in the woods. We'll change gear completely. Then we'll meet in the woods after the jump and we'll switch gear back and we'll pretend it was you doing it because he knew how scared I was. And he knows like I'm a I was a professional at a lot of things. Razor driving was not one of them. I had spent time jumping around Pastrana land, but his jumps are like his biggest jump is like 100 feet or whatever. So nothing near what I was doing here. So although I you know, I'd spent time in the razor and I'd ri driven razors and stuff, but I wasn't a professional driver by any means. He also knew that. So literally up until the very last moment, he gave me the chance to get out of it. But like I said, I was only worried about keeping the tires on the ramp. I knew I could drive fast in a straight line. So I, uh, I told him that I, I wanted to do it. So it wasn't, it wasn't that I was forced into doing it or anything like that. And so I know he still feels bad about it to this day because we just literally talked about this when I was at his house like two days ago. So I know it's still eating him up. So Trav, if you listen to this, man, I don't blame you. I chose to do it and I'm living with the, uh, living with the consequences. Well, you are incredible. And, um, you know, I, not, we want to focus on you, but Travis is, I think a stand up guy. And, and I didn't know that part that you were talking about where he was going to switch out with you. That's amazing that, I mean, he would recognize your fear and yeah oh i know he like people get that wrong about him and they think that he's just this crazy dude that just pushes everybody to do all this crazy stuff no i mean yeah we're all a little bit crazy in in our in our uh, jobs uh but no he just he's there to make make someone's potential possible like if they have these goals if they want to do it he'll help make it possible he's not going to force you to do it and I think that my case is the best scenario where legally he was not allowed to do this jump, but he still told me, he's like, F the F what they say. If you're not comfortable doing this, I'm going to do it. And I was like, dude, I can do it. And I guess I did it a little bit too good. <laughs> not really, but I did it. I did a little bit too much. <laughs> so let's talk about now the, the recovery. Um, and I know you, you spent a while in the hospital. Probably bananas helped you. Um. <laughs> Probably right here. Is it weird to eat a banana on a podcast? I've never done a podcast. So I don't know. <laughs> it's fine. Hey, it's all, all right, good. Cool. It's all good here. So how long were you in the hospital and, and what were the doctors telling you at that point? So I think this is because of me trying not trying to live like forward and not think about it so much I've literally I've pretty much blocked out of my head the whole hospital stay like because it was just so negative and I was such a asshole to my family and those around me because I 
you know, I thought my life was over. So I just kind of, I don't know how long I was in the hospital. Uh, okay. My, my wife just chimed in. I was in the ICU intensive care unit for five days from there. I went to normal-ish hospital bed in Tennessee. Then I remember they flew me on an air ambulance. Thank you to Nitro Circus, to Black Rifle Coffee, to Wiener Schnitzel for helping fund that. Who else? And yeah, duh, Road to Recovery, for helping line that up to fund my transfer because I couldn't fly in a normal airplane. They had me in this, it was the tiniest little airplane and I'm just sitting there stiff as a board and my feet are on the nurse in front of me and Sarah's right next to me with her feet overlapping the other nurse in front of her, just four people crammed this little thing. And I just remember there was a, a button. I couldn't push it, but I'd had them push it for this crazy drug that would like take the pain. And you know, at that point I had started getting some pain, some nerve hypersensitivity it's called, which is the worst pain I've ever had in my life. But at the same time, it was awesome because I hadn't felt anything like mm -hmm. When I rolled to a stop after that crash, I didn't feel any pain at all. And that's when I knew that I was really, really something was really wrong because you can't jump 300 feet and crash like that and not be in pain. So it was a great thing that I felt that pain, but also it was overwhelming to be crammed into that little airplane and just, just in deadly pain. And so they had pushed this button. It wasn't morphine, but it was like more than morphine. And so they'd be like every... 40 minutes or whatever, I can get another button push. I'm like, please push the button, push the button. And so they transferred me to Milwaukee and uh, I spent, so being back in Wisconsin was a huge part of it because then my family and friends could come and visit me and uh, seeing all those people helped, you know, helped really keep me positive because everybody thinks, oh, it's magical. He's like the most positive person ever. And if I'm being honest, that's not the truth. Um, it is the people around me that were able to bring me back to a positive spot at least once throughout the day. And that's when I would film those magical daily update videos. I wasn't just all positive about the whole thing. I'll, even though like right when I was getting put in the flight for life, I was because of the, being around the nice circus guys, I was telling jokes and stuff. I'm like, knowing I, I couldn't catch it. I'm like, Hey, somebody throw me a GoPro. I got to film this helicopter ride. <laughs> and obviously couldn't, couldn't actually film it. Um, but I was just like, because the people around me, even then they, that's what the nitro crew does to me is they made, they make me like into my fun, loving, joking, fun to be around type of a person. And, uh, that kind of carried with me right into the first hospital. And then throughout the whole recovery, doing these videos, not because of my own positivity all the time, but the people around me would get me into a positive mindset and I'd do that video. And sometimes that was the only thing during, during the day that was positive at all. The rest of the time I'd be asking my wife to kill me. And so everybody's like, they think that, oh, I'm just a superhuman positive force. And that's not the case. I was, you know, it was the worst moment of my life. I, I was wanting to die all the time. I was mean to my friends and family and it, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't me. And if it was just me, the first night when I was alone in the hospital, if I could have killed myself, I would have. Um, and I asked, like I said, I asked my wife for months to kill me every night. And uh, so it's just because the people around me that were able to be this driving force behind getting me back to positive each day. And that was huge. That was the hugest part of this whole recovery. I had, I did have some awesome doctors and actually mainly, uh, I mean, obviously whoever did my surgery did a banana thumbs up job because I'm walking <laughs> now. 
Um, but also I think as a lot of it was really good nurses and physical therapists. So if it wasn't for my friends and family, the therapists that I had really changed the entire uh, route of this recovery. And I would not be where I am without them and without the folks that rode to recovery because I was not a nice person, as I said. And so my family and especially Sarah would have to deal with that. And so they need somebody, she needed somebody to help her deal with dealing with me. And that was what Mike Young and Anita and the people at Road to Recovery, they were there for Sarah because she needed somebody to talk to. She couldn't just, she couldn't, it was a lot to take on emotionally. And like I said, I wasn't very pleasant to be around that first, uh, first long time. <laughs> so, but the doctors, yeah, they weren't, the doctors were not giving me, they weren't giving me any hope. Like I, and that's probably why I was so bummed initially because I, it was, I couldn't trick myself into thinking that I'm ever going to do anything again because it just, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't obviously at the time, but I didn't see a lot of hope. It was my friends and family that would give me that. And thankfully like being around Travis right away, he's firsthand seen people that have gotten paralyzed walk again. And whether, if not, he's been around Bruce cook who got paralyzed, didn't walk again, but still backflipped his bike again. So like he knows, and he's made a career out of proving that impossible is just a word that we humans made up. It's not a real thing. Like impossible is, I don't buy into that crap. Uh, and so neither he, and now I don't, he didn't ever. And so he, he was a constant reminder of like, Hey man, like you don't know, no doctor knows exactly what's going to come out of this. Like you really could come back from anything. There's a chance. There's always a, there's always a chance. Even if it's one in a million, there's, there's a chance. So it's not me. I mean, yeah, I'm, I tried my hardest to get back to as much as I could, but it wasn't me who uh, initiated this insane recovery. It was the people around me. Well, that's, I mean, I appreciate your honesty. And I think that's important to share because anybody who goes through even anything remotely similar or, you know, like mine, my cancer, whatever I had, I always say I had, as far as cancer goes, I had the good one. Um, <laughs> there is such a thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know I, look I, at it. I definitely drew on on your positivity, and I did not know that behind the scenes it was it was as dark. And in a similar way, I mean, I was putting up the thumbs up too in all my posts. But I mean, I was getting pretty sick of my mom wanting to go for walks all the time and stuff like that to you know help keep me active. So I think you know sharing that part is important. And and bringing up the mom too. I'd still feel bad about this this day because I remember pretty vividly um, they like I forget which hospital it is but they got me into like one of those assisted walking machines where they just like strap you into this big like robot pretty much and it walks for you and I heard my mom on the phone with one of her friends like Phil walked today he walked today and I got so mad at her I was like swearing her. I'm like mom don't say that that was not me walking don't be like don't jinx it. I like was so mean to my mom for being happy that they got me in this machine and got me moving that I pretty much bitched out my mom for being happy for me. And that's just crazy to think about and crazy to say, but that's the mindset that you're in when I didn't, I was so mad that like she had said that I was walking when it wasn't me walking, that I was very, very mean. So I'm sorry, mom, <laughs> moms are good. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> All right. So, um, let's let's talk about kind of how we met but more focus on uh you came to virginia beach for physical therapy bhp love that place yeah i remember uh 
I remember you reached out and it was actually ended up at your family got me so pumped because you had mom and grandma and everybody's out there and they're all so pumped. And honestly, that being in Virginia Beach and being at Virginia High Performance, that was the biggest turning point of the recovery because I went there in a wheelchair. And as soon as I wheelchaired into the place, they're like, you're going to be parking that thing. And I'm just like, okay, I can kind of walk for like a few feet at a time. I don't think I'm going to be parking this wheelchair. And they're like, no, we have, we, they, they actually, they build soldiers who are blown up and destroyed at war. They're, that's what their main focus is, is rehabilitate, rehabilitating soldiers that should have no chance to do it again. So the guy that I was partnering up with, um, he, Tim was such an expert at spinal injuries that he knew what to do. He understood the body so well, so much better than any doctor that I'd actually talked to. And this is just like a therapist or like a strong, you know, strong guy or whatever. Um, but they had dealt with so many people in the past that he had just got done working with somebody who had been paralyzed as well. So I just like, I had so much faith in them that I like saw, I saw the potential of them making me better. I believe that they could do it. And I think that was a huge part of the process because like I said, I showed up in a wheelchair and I mean, we used that thing the first day and that was it. I mean, I use, after that, I'd use it in long airports and stuff and, and stuff like that. But other than that, I mean, I was, I went from being in a wheelchair when I got there to not touching the thing ever pretty much after that. So that was a huge part. And then like you'd reached out and you, 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 you chose a good way to reach out because Travis does not turn down a race, <laughs> especially on the go-kart. So Steven, for the people listening out there, Steven had uh, reached out and wanted to challenge Travis to a, a go-kart race there in Virginia beach. And like I said, he doesn't turn down a challenge and they use it as a fundraiser for, for road to recovery. And so it was pretty cool. I remember walking on the track. I was like, got to do the, the checkered flag and stuff. And I remember sitting there trying to like hold on to a GoPro and filming and my hands work way worse than they do now. And uh, I was like, dude, this is, this is so cool. Like, they're raising, raising money for me in the coolest way possible, I thought. So and then just getting to talk to your family and stuff that time was a pretty bright point because at that point I didn't have my family or anybody with me because I was now living in Virginia Beach for that month. And so it was cool to have that, uh, that loving energy that your family brought to that event. That was a very bright spot in my time there, which my time there was one of the hardest, hardest times I've ever tried to do anything like I always, I think about this now, if I had pushed it as hard as I did training when I was racing motorcycles, as I did training at the rehab at VHP, I probably would have been, you know, like Travis Pastrana and been a national champion. Well, that's a stretch, but I probably would have like been a professional motocross racer if I would have trained as hard as I did when I was racing to, as I did in this recovery. So VHP will always be a special place in my, in my heart, heart and life, because they definitely changed the, changed the road in my recovery for sure. Yeah, I mean, doing that go kart race with with you guys, that's the happiest I've ever been to lose and, uh, and make a donation to Road to Recovery. And I always pride myself because the one, the second race, I think it was, I lost to Travis by a tenth of a second because it it's lap time. So, well, that's so uh, that, yeah. a lot, man. Because uh, Travis is, I don't care what it is, but he is not trying to lose. He's trying his hardest all the time, and we know how good of a driver he is. So that means you were moving. So yeah. yeah, losing to Travis though is kind of still a win sometimes. So I'd say you you still won. <laughs> well, we actually we all won on that one because Road Recovery got some funds raised. Um, we had a great time and got to meet and hang out with your family and everything. And it actually 
it got me and Travis out of the grind of being at VHP. Like literally we would be, be there nine hours a day or whatever it was and just working our butts off so hard that by the time we got back, all we would do is eat and sleep. So it was like rehab at VHP, eat, sleep, just every day over and over and over. And it's, it's a grind. So to have that kind of event that you, you uh, brought up that made it so we could throw some fun in there too. And fun is important. I will always stand by that fact. <laughs> well, that's very nice of you to say what you said about my family and, and they have been inspired by you as well. And even my grandparents, like I have this picture right here. I'll go I'll grab it in a second. So my grandparents got me after that, that time we hung out, um, my grandmother, Grammy, I call her, took, took a, a screenshot, screenshot of the Instagram post and she got this canvas made and it's like got the Instagram thing on it. But and Travis are twinning out hard in that one. And I'm in one of those goofy Hawaiian shirts that I could only wear because I couldn't put a t-shirt over my neck brace. So that ended up at first, I'm like, oh man, this sucks. But then it kind of ended up like being my style, I guess. And then also like to button them up, my hands didn't work good. So to button those buttons every day was therapy with those Hawaiian shirts. Cause I had to try and button them and it was so freaking hard to button those shirts up. But that, that just, that picture brings back memories, man. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was one of the highlights of my life to, to meet you. And I'm glad that I've met you and you're here talking to me today. Me too, man. That was uh you helped, you helped me at the time that I, I needed some fun in my life and that now, and then, and then after that, as soon as I like could start moving my body, the biggest thing in therapy I did was fun therapy, therapy with fun involved. And I think that has, that ramped up my, uh, ramped up my recovery even more once I was able to start doing some fun stuff in with just therapy or making therapy fun. So that was like the first fun therapy day we had was that race. So, uh, nice, man. <laughs> well, let's talk about, uh, specifically what you did at VHP. I know you said they rehab soldiers, but what kinds of things were they having you do? A lot of it was, uh, aided movement specific. So, my left side came back sooner than my right side. Like my left big toe was the first thing I moved. Left, left hand, left everything, left everything came back first. So my right side was still pretty locked and frozen. And they were worried about, uh, I just, I remember this because it was the most painful thing I had done in a long time. But they were worried about my whole right side just freezing up. And they, they call it like, speaking of the shoulder, like frozen shoulder. Like if that happens, then they have to go in there and, try and surgically repair it. And then the chances of it ever working again are just like none. So literally I remember they would uh, go in there and the morning would start off with Tim, uh, who was my therapist there. And he would do all these different like motions with my, uh, my right, my right arm and right side. And it was just excruciating, but literally he just knew he knew how to get the, the uh, movements going so that the blood would flow right. And then also like to help reconnect the brain, the nervous system, the brain to the limbs. And so literally the biggest thing we worked on was getting life back into my right side. And it sucked. It sucked so bad. But literally by the end of that, I like went in there, you know, arm in a sling and everything. And arms they were they still are kind of but they were literally just bone and skin is all it was there was no muscles no anything on them at all and like he just knew 
he, these therapies that he did and these movements he did were like strictly to connect the brain back to the limbs. And I don't know the technical side of that. I know it sucked to do, but I also know it worked. So that I was so thankful to have a therapist that had so much knowledge in that area that that's the main thing we worked on for the first, I'd say two, two or three weeks. All we really did was that we didn't even like work on strength training because I, I was still trying to move at the time. And, but then after that, we got into some more regular therapies with bands and weights and all that normal stuff. But I mean, that stuff you could do pretty much anywhere, but the, uh, the precision movements that he would have me do to reconnect. And then I also, what sticks out too, he had uh, I forget what it's called, but it's like a, a board that you stand on or he would have me, kind of plank on, on my elbows and it's a vibrating base and so like the vibrations that's what kind of i think helped wake up some uh, nerves and help trigger some some uh flowage of uh of nervous systems i mean i'm really smart technically as you can tell uh and so i i know that vibrating baseboard that was huge because the vibrations helped wake something up in me and i even even to this day like when i'm sitting here hands don't really work great definitely not the right one but when they're on handlebars and like i, I can barely like i can't i have to sometimes have like sarah open a cup of water or a water bottle for me um or you know any jar of pickles for lack of anything else but when i'm on my bike and the vibrations are going like my hands clamp strong onto my handlebars now like more strength than i think i actually have right now the hands just do it. And I think it has something to do with the vibrations. And the first time I had anything vibrational therapy was at VHP. And that, those are the two things I think that were most important was the nervous um, movements and then also the vibration. So I wouldn't have even thought to do any of that stuff if it was just me by myself or if it was just me at a standard hospital therapy. So that was, love you, Tim. Love you, VHP vibrations are good good vibes it was good vibes <laughs> <laughs> all right so i will just address we just had technical difficulties i'm going to re-ask the question i just asked i don't know how this will go in editing so i just wanted to address it um but so people will ask why do you continue to do the action sports thing um after your accident that is a very good question that i asked myself um initially uh because i was just I, ha I have survivor's guilt with, with uh, SCI because I have friends from motocross who on paper, they have the same exact injury as me, yet they're still wheelchair bound. And I, I don't understand why I'm so lucky to get all this back and be able to do all this stuff. And then it got me thinking. And I think part of the reason I got all this back was so I would, I'm able to show others like that there shouldn't be a roof on their potential on their potential recovery, on their potential talent, on their potential anything. And so it's like, I have a responsibility to keep pushing myself to show them that there is hope for pretty much anything. But it really hit me, um, hit me pretty strongly that I'm making the right decision because I was walking down the, the sidewalk with Sarah one time and we, there was just a, a patch of black ice on the, on the sidewalk, didn't, obviously didn't see it. I was just walking, feet slipped out, we both fell my head caught the corner of a cement pillar and it literally caught my head 
crunched my neck, knocked me to the ground. And I'm laying there in the middle of the sidewalk thinking I'm re-paralyzed. And, I'm, and it happened walking down the road, not, not riding pit bikes, not snow skating, not anything. And I thought I was right back to square one. Um, so that made me realize like it can happen anytime. And if you look at the statistics, 95% about uh, spinal cord injuries happen in car crashes. Not the people, not the people that were controlling their destiny. I, I feel fortunate that my injury, if you can even say fortunate, that I was the one in control. I was, I was doing, I was doing something that I chose to do and not everybody is lucky enough to get that. I know not everybody is lucky enough to get a recovery like I have had, but I'm, I chose to keep pursuing these, uh, these sports because life is so short. I know that. And I know a big part of it is one of the reasons humans are supposed to enjoy their time here and, and fun is, is healthy. Fun is the most healthy thing you can do. So I'm, I'm given these chances again, and I'm, I, I still take them responsible. Don't get me wrong. Yes, I'm riding in pit bikes and racing and doing this crazy stuff again, but I don't just do it all. Like I'm going to go backflip off everything I can find. Like I used to, I, I'm, I changed my, my attack on it. So I'm not just going and being the crazy action sports at crazy action sports athlete that I was before. But like I said, I, I do feel like I have a responsibility to, to push myself in order to hopefully inspire and provide hope for others. And then at the same time, it can happen anytime to anyone, anything can. And so I feel you really need to enjoy your time here. And if I'm gonna get hurt walking down the sidewalk, I'm darn well going to ride my pit bike and snowboard again, because it can happen doing anything. So that's, that's why I'm still into the same things that I was before. And at the same time, these activities are some of the best therapy that I can have. And I've actually had now the doctor tell me that he's like, he saw my case. Like I went, I went in for my two year checkup and he saw, saw like where I should be and where I am. And he was blown away. He's like, what are you doing to be, how are you doing this? And I told him what I'm doing for therapy and like goes back to the vibrational thing. I really believe when I'm riding motorcycle and the vibration is going through my body, it's helping refire some connections that are lost because I mean, still to this day, my palms are still numb and tingly. My fingers have gotten quite a bit better. It comes and goes, it ebbs and flows, but I, I couldn't feel anything in my hands, obviously initially, but even when I was walking again, I couldn't feel anything in my hands. When I first started riding a bike, people were so stoked like, Oh, you're riding a bike again. That has to feel awesome. And I was happy to be riding again, but it didn't feel awesome because I didn't have any connection with the motorcycle because I just couldn't feel anything in my hands. And so it wasn't what I was hoping for it to be. But as I made myself ride every freaking day on that pit bike, I used to ride around trying to do push-ups as I'm riding on the handlebars. That vibration of the bike did something to wake up my flow of uh, feeling and I could feel my hands again. And that didn't happen in a therapy at the hospital. That happened on a pit bike back in the woods at our place. And so I really believe that, yeah, these things are kind of crazy, but for me, they're also like the best therapy I can be doing right now. So long answer to your good question there. <laughs> yeah, it was a great answer. Um, and, you know, like you said, I, I hope you know that you have inspired and continue to inspire hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, I, before your Instagram got hacked, I don't know the number, but it was, it was well over a hundred thousand people that followed you. So. I mean, people were drawn to, to your story and, I mean, and your recovery. That kind of does, that still does bum me out a little bit. Not necessarily because I need to be doing a video every day like I did for that first year, but 
I've had people now reached out to, I, I took over my, uh, our, our cabin. I made a account for our cabin because our, our property is just so crazy. It's got like a full glass house, full rock house. Like, it's just so cool. I'm like, this place needs like its own page. So I made a magical adventure retreat, retreat page. And I ended up just taking that one over because the, the hacker took my cat's Instagram page too. I can't get into tatties either. Low life. Uh, but anyway, I took that one over. And since then, I changed it to Smagical Hacks, the name of it, because, well, I got hacked. And so now I'm not even the real Smagical anymore because the dude is still using the Smagical name on my Instagram account and just posting weird, like pretty much nothing, but he's just posting weird stuff. Anyway, that doesn't matter. But so I took over this new my house Instagram account and I have people reaching out to me. And there's dudes saying like literally anytime they would get down, they would go back and through my ar archives, archives, through my old videos that would show up. And they had favorited them. And whenever they needed a lift, they would watch these videos that inspired them. So like, I'm really pretty upset that the dude had to delete them all. If he would have taken my account and just left everything up, I'd have been cool with that. But no, he deleted all that stuff that was easy for people to go back and get the inspiration they needed. So I'm happy for one, it was able to help people initially. And I actually had a, one of the coolest part of all that. One of the coolest parts was I was at a race and I had this, this couple come up to me and they said, that they're busy in their own lives, blah, blah, blah. And the only time that they were come together every day was to watch this magical daily update. So I was literally bringing husband and wife together to spend time together. And that's pretty dang cool. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, in, at the top of this thing, your story transcends everybody, not just action sports. Yeah. I, I am grateful for that. And I, I was talking about this with uh, Pastrana a couple of days ago and if I would have landed the world record jump and did it successfully, people might've talked about it for a day or a couple of days or been stoked for like 30 seconds, seeing the clip on Instagram. But the way it did go down, it not only reached, reached out to more people in action sports, like you said, it transcended the whole sporting community and it just went, it kind of went worldwide to the general public. I had people reaching out that had never, never knew I, did a hard flip over my goat, but they knew about my life story because of, because of the, the crash. So, I mean, it was a terrible thing, but at the same time, the way it went, I still feel and believe that there is purpose behind it going that way. And part of that purpose was the number of people that were able to, I was able to reach throughout uh, social media. Yeah. Like I said, we were talking about my family earlier, even my, uh, my Grammy followed you and she would always, I would always see her comment on your post, like hearts or thumbs up or something. That's like, so cool. <laughs> I love, it's going to sound weird, but I love grandmas. <laughs> <laughs> I had like just a super, super special grandma. Um, well, both of my grandmas, obviously, but, uh, my grandma joy, she's, she's still with us and kicking and 90, 90 something years old, still riding a four wheeler. Um, and I just was super fortunate to have her be a big influence in my life. I mean, I made video segments out uh, with her, like do yourself a favor, go on YouTube and type in rad grandma, magical. And it's a, it's a, a rad grandma's ATD enduro cross training. And if you've never seen that, it's worth the couple minute watch because right. my grandma's so freaking cool. And so to see, see the grandma love out there. I love that. So this, we're recording this on March. 18th um i'm gonna release this mid-april i know you've had some milestones i don't know what I've, there's been vague posts about something you did this week a big milestone i don't know if you want to talk about that yet or you know what i, I don't know what i don't know what nitro is going to do with it um 
they have all the footage. Uh, it'll come out eventually. Nitro's kind of like me. I'm sure it'll be a while. Yeah. <laughs> we're kind of with media. I mean, I'm sitting on so much good media that I just haven't cut it together. Uh, but I suppose by April it might be out. If not, you guys are getting a sneak peek. Uh, this past weekend at Travis's, well, even before that, uh, down at Day in the Dirt South at Dade City, Florida, last weekend, I raced my first uh, full-size motocross bike race, which I've been, you know, racing pit bikes, riding pit bikes like crazy, but I hadn't ridden the big, the full-size bike yet because you know, I got the twig arm still and the whiskey throttle on a full-size bike's a little gnarlier than a pit bike. But I was able to compete in uh, two different races. First off, the it was a 75-minute race where my teammate was Randy Richardson from Michelin Tires, and we'd switch off every lap. So I was doing one lap at a time. He'd do a lap. And the lap times were about six minutes long for me. Um, so that was pretty hard because I had I pretty much spent like 30 minutes on a big bike altogether since I broke everything. And then the next race was a 90-minute solo race on like the – it was a gnarly course, so rough, like so bumpy. It was crazy hard. And I, I had to – pinch hit with a, a friend of ours, Aaron. She wrote a couple laps for me, but out of the 90 minute race, I think she did maybe two laps and I did like all the rest for 90 minutes. And uh, I would not have thought that being possible. Like if you would have asked me a couple weeks ago, I would be like, yeah, right. I'm not gonna race a full-size motocross bike for 90 minutes long. And, you know, race, I got to race against Doug Henry, who's a paralyzed motocross champion who really inspired me throughout my recovery. And I got video me right behind him right behind him and actually he ran to the back a dude stopped in front of him he's in a cage bike so he can't put his feet down he's paralyzed he can't put his feet down so he just tipped over and i was right behind him and i like first thing i did was just throw my bike on the ground and something came over me like i was so tired at the time and i don't have a lot of arm strength anyway yet and i literally like picked him up like some crazy superhuman strength picked his freaking cage bike up and got him back on his way and i'm like that was that was milestone right there. Like, yeah. and that was like, that's like a universal, everything in the universe coming together that he's lapping me at this exact time where I'm behind him and he tips over to, I'm the one there to pick him up. It was so cool. Then fast forward, we literally left day in the dirt, Florida, Sunday, drove overnight to Travis's house Monday and went straight into the foam pit. And, uh, let's see, there's more, I just don't know how much with the nitro thing I can yeah, release no, it's, it. It's okay. Uh, Ryan Sipes and, and his son were there working on something as well. Myself, I was working on, uh, I, I wanted to, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, I wanted to backflip a pit bike again to a landing. I, you know, I did it to the foam pit and that was awesome, uh, but I didn't feel super controlled when I did it. But uh, Trav worked with me, uh, Duffy, I mean, Hubert, come over, Steve, they all there to help, uh, help me do this crazy goal I had. Because everybody's like, oh, with spinal cord injuries, if they see you walking again, most people think, oh, you're fully recovered. You can walk. You're, you're healed. You're full recovery. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I, well, I'm not going to say that. Yeah, I might. Hopefully I do get a full recovery ever. I'm still very far away from it with my upper body. But I want, I wouldn't call it a comeback until I backflipped again. And so that has been something that has been, I mean, I, I was crazy enough. I want to do it on my one year, one year crash <laughs> anniversary. I was so far away from being ready. I'm like, yeah. okay, I'll do it on the two year crash anniversary. Not even friggin' close. Uh, so now the timing just seemed right. And I've been, I've really been improving my upper body and I felt like I would be able to control it a little bit better. 
And so the uh, viewers of this podcast, you get to uh, be the first to know that I have successfully landed a backflip and rode away from it on a pit bike again. So Great, yeah. it's now officially a comeback, man. That uh, is awesome. Back. That is awesome. And <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's freaking crazy, but it worked. I landed it first try, rode away from it. I mean, people were crying. Like I was hugging Trav right afterwards. It felt like the feeling that I got when I was filming stuff that's never been done before in action figures too. It was like, I never thought I'd feel those feelings again. And I, I did. And it was, it made all this crazy pain, blood, sweat, tears, everything worth it. And it was very, very gratifying. And I'm so grateful to be able to do that again. I'm not going to go back to just backflipping off trees and stuff all of a sudden, just because I did it once, but I'm just so stoked that I was able to get to that. And that just once again proves like, that the, we don't know where our ceiling is. We don't like you'd ask me, I almost gave up on it a year ago. I'm like, well, I just, my arms are never going to get solid enough to, to land safely land a backflip again, but well, I was wrong. It happened. <laughs> That's awesome. Congrats, man. That is sick. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, I'm still kind of like, uh, hasn't really sunken in yet. And until I see the footage, it probably won't. But like I said, Nitro's got the footage. I'm not sure what type of project project it's going to go into, but it'll be it'll be coming out probably hopefully about the same time this this interview comes out. And like knowing how crazy the universe is, it might be the same day. Who knows? Maybe. And uh, if you find out that it's going to be a little bit later than that, let me know, and I'll swap some episode release dates, and we'll do this afterward. But cool, man. I mean, I'll that's... definitely stay in touch on it. Um, and then on that note, I actually pretty cool piece i have uh got my first filming contract back with nitro so it's like obviously i'm doing different stuff now than i was the last time i filmed for him with action figures too but literally i got hired by nitro circus to film social media content again so it's pretty cool because with my social media with it being hacked i haven't i just didn't feel the connection or the desire to put so much time into my own account again after it got taken and i've had zero ability to get in contact with anybody at uh, Instagram or Facebook to get it back. They just, they review the dude's account. And they said, this guy's not breaking any community guidelines. I'm like, yeah, except for he's trying to be me and he has my account. That should be community guidelines. So I've been kind of bummed on the whole thing. So now I just signed a contract with Nitro to film for theirs for the next two months. So I've gotten like re-motivated and I've been like, I'm filming professionally again i mean yeah it is professional because i'm getting paid to do it so like yeah. it's so crazy that i'm like professionally filming again even though obviously the reason why uh some of the footage is usable is because of my story but also and my background but also i've been filming some pretty legitimate clips that like i think regardless of the fact that i'm a fused neck come back from paralyzed guy like if you just saw this footage you'd be like whoa that's cool. So I'm like literally filming, not at the level I was, but at a level to where I feel, I feel comfortable releasing it on Nitro Circus social media, which, you know, they don't post, uh, they don't post just anything. Like it's gotta be pretty gnarly to get on there. So I'm pretty stoked on that. And I got cats climbing on me now. So if there's a cat that steps on the keyboard, I'm sorry, but it's going to crawl all over. <laughs> so the next disconnect might be a cat's fault, not my fault for not okay. trying to do it. <laughs> well, hey, thank you so much again for not only being on this podcast and taking the time and dealing with the technical difficulties, but thanks for being an inspiration to so many. And um, 
thanks for you know shaving my head before chemo and all that I mean it's it's you you have helped many people and I'm grateful to have been just one well I thanks for the kind words I'm also it's a bad bad thing to call you but you're pretty ballsy because uh, <laughs> when I shaved your head I think I might I'm trying to remember I'll see some pictures but I might have used my right hand to do it and I'm surprised I didn't just like dig deep into your scalp and make you bleed all over the place. So for a dude that has uh, battled through the ballsy things you have to, to take that offer at Travis's and do the shaved head thing with me at the, uh, at the Clippers, pretty gnarly. Because the last haircut I did, I uh, went to my buddy, uh, Troy Smalls, who still now has like a two foot long mullet from that. <laughs> but part of the deal is kind of cool. Part of the deal with me and him was, if he double backflipped or if I backflipped again, then he, I could cut his mullet that I cut into him two years ago, at least. So, uh, it might be a, another haircut video coming out pretty soon that, uh, I'll uh, have to throw a shout out to you in that one too. Oh, That's awesome. Hey, thanks again. And, uh, you can go to the bathroom now. All right, man. I've been holding it. I got that uh, <laughs> chill flowing through me. So, uh, yeah, I just want to take this time to thank any, First, anybody out there that had reached out to send prayers, send positive vibes, send anything my way, because I used to, in the hospital, I would have Sarah read me the comments like, hey, you want to do like 20 Instagram comments? And that's all we could do at a time. And like, that was, that was huge. And then also the companies that have stuck behind me through this whole deal and, and the companies that still do, even though I don't produce what I used to produce, um, it's, it means a lot to me to have any type of support. And you and your family have been very supportive right since the back in the early Virginia Beach days so man it's a pleasure this is my my first podcast ever and I thought I was gonna hate it not not kidding like I was dreading it this morning oh, but gosh. it was actually good fun man so I thanks for uh popping my podcast cherry <laughs> well thanks for doing it and uh I want to go up there and flip now so all right well but I have like hardly any experience so that might be don't need it because uh, you got a lot of experienced people around and also we can do it safely because that's what Travis and myself also are focusing on. We want fun, safe craziness. So uh, you said it though. So once you actually said it, you got yourself into it now. So uh, oh, yeah, hey, to for the video of Steven getting ballsier than a, uh, can I say this? One ball person should. It might uh, be more aerodynamic or something. Yeah, exactly. You'll be able to flip so much faster and lighter, man. You got it. I know you, as your shirt says, you goat this. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Right on, buddy. Thanks, man. We'll, we'll, we'll set that up. I'll talk to Trav. We're going to get you out there flipping. So, viewers, stay tuned. It's going to get even better from here. Awesome. <laughs> okay. All right, man. Peace. <laughs>